you turn in your Bibles, we'll be in Zechariah chapter 2 tonight. Zechariah chapter 2. And we began our study last week and we learned that Zechariah was one of the post-captivity prophets. There were three post-captivity prophets. Uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the last three prophets or the last three books of the Old Testament. And God sent these prophets to exhort the remnant of Israel who had returned from captivity. Uh, most of them were in Babylon, but some of them were scattered in other areas. And they had returned from captivity and they, they came back and God wanted to encourage them because he knew, you know, they saw the city in ruins. They saw the whole nation in ruins. And uh, God wanted them to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. And they were pretty discouraged. They just saw the task at hand too dawning. They didn't think they could ever do it. And, and uh, they saw that what they were doing wasn't going to ever match what they had before. And so they were ready to quit. And so he sends these prophets. And he, one of the prophets he sends is, is Zechariah. And uh, he gives, God gives Zechariah a series of visions. And that's, we began looking at those visions uh, last week. The first vision we saw was the vision of the man uh, in the midst of the myrtle trees, and that's none other than Jesus Christ. Then we saw the vision of the horns and the, and the craftsmen, and it's kind of a, a, a paradox in that vision. And then tonight we're going to get to our third vision, and that's the man with the measuring line, or in our modern vernacular, a measuring tape. You ever see a person with a measuring tape? You know something's going on. And that's the vision we're going to be looking at. Verse number, let's pick up in verse number one. Zechariah says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the width and what is its length, because things are going to change. My wife keeps a measuring tape uh, in the kitchen drawer. She has her own measuring tape. I have one and she has her own measuring tape. And whenever she pulls that measuring tape out, I know I'm in trouble because she's wanting to do some kind of expansion or some kind of remodel or something like that. And that's exactly the picture that we get right here in this little vision that change is coming, that uh, Jerusalem is going to be reconstructed. It had been torn, it had been built up by David and Solomon. It had been torn down by the Babylonians, but now God is going to reconstruct the city of Jerusalem. And so the man with the measuring line here is no doubt the angel of the Lord, none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And so he's got this measuring tape in his hand and he's measuring the city of Jerusalem. And listen to what he says in verse number three. Changes are coming. And there was an angel who talked with me and there was the angel who talked with me going out and another angel was coming in to meet him. So the angel of the Lord was talking to Zechariah and here comes another angel. And the angel of the Lord said to him, go speak to this young man. So we get this, we get a little bit of insight into Zechariah. He was a young man. Uh, but in the Lord's eyes, we're all young men and women. We're going to live forever. So that he might have been 90 years old. He said, go speak to this young man. After all, his goings forth are from everlasting. He's the oldest person ever and will always be the oldest person ever because he has no limit to his age. He's always been. 
And so he says, run, speak to this young man, Zechariah. And he says, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. Now, that had to be a shock to Zechariah. The Lord immediately says Jerusalem is going to be inhabited without walls. Now, in that situation, that would be a pretty scary thought because they had walls. And look what the Babylonians did to them when they knocked those walls down. And, they, and under Nehemiah, they, had, they were rebuilding these walls. And then, then the Lord, angel of the Lord comes along and he says, Jerusalem one day will be inhabited without walls. In other words, there will be no need for walls. And I think they were all saying, I hope that's not now. I hope you're not talking about now. And he wasn't. He was talking about sometime in the future. We know that time to be the millennium. So he says, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock. And it's going to be so large. I, you know, the, oh, maybe some of the old walls will be restored or, or, or be kept intact in the millennium, but the city's going to go way beyond uh, those city walls because of the number of people that are going to be there, the multitude of men and the number, multitude of, of uh, livestock. You, look in the, you watch the news now, and Jerusalem is building settlements outside the city walls, and that's causing an uproar throughout the world. But it's also a very difficult situation for the state of Israel, because when they put those cities outside those walls, away from their main security forces and away from their army, they put, those people are living in, in, in a lot of danger. Uh, and so they have to provide them security, but that security that they have there is limited. Uh, but uh, that won't be a problem in the millennium because look, look at verse number five. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her. And what will that fire be? I will be the glory in her midst. It's the Shekinah glory, the fire of God, which will inhabit that whole city. It will inhabit the whole earth. And that Shekinah glory will provide protection for the people of Israel. So uh, nobody's going to dare touch an Israelite uh, when Jesus is on this earth. I can tell you that right now. Nobody's even going to say a bad word about a Jew when Jesus is on this earth. And... Uh, even if they wanted to say her harm than Israelite, they couldn't do that because the glory of the Lord is there to protect them. But God is also using this vision to speak to this little remnant of Jews that were, who had come back from Babylon or back from these other areas after the captivity, the 70 years of captivity was over. And, and really he's given them this vision to say, hey, my glory will protect you too. My glory, you don't see my visible glory, but my glory will be there to protect you. And so he encourages these people. He encourages these people uh, not only to, to, uh, to, to rest in him and to trust him, but hey, he encourages the whole nation to come back into the land because God is there. God is in the land again. And that's really the message of this book. I mean, a temple's not going to be anything spectacular, but you're building the temple on holy ground. You're building the temple in the place where I will dwell one day physically on this earth. And at this point, God is saying, I'm dwelling here now. And I'm, that same glory that will be there in the millennium that you'll be able to see is here to protect you now. So come on back down to the land and, 
and get busy doing your work. And so he's right on cue. He says in verse number six, he says, up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I spread you abroad like four winds of heaven. Now, there were several times when Israel was invaded and the people were, the nation was virtually destroyed and then uh, they were brought back into the land. A uh, remnant was brought back in the land. It ha- I say several times, a few times. It happened un- in, under the Assyrians. It happened under the Babylonians. Uh, it happened when Rome uh, captured Israel and then they scattered Israel throughout the land. And it's going to happen again in the millennium. And so these four winds is this picture of Israel being scattered all over the earth. And the Lord says, come back, come back because I'm here. When will they, you know, there's some sort of regathering and all sorts of people are, especially prophecy people are all excited about this regathering of Israel into the land. But that's only a small, small portion of Israelites. I mean, there, I haven't, you know, uh, actually looked at the figure. So I'm just quoting something I've heard. But I've heard that there are more, Israel, more Jews in New York City than there is in the entire nation of Israel. So, uh, you know, I don't know if the statistics are accurate or not. You can check on the Internet and you can always find the accurate thing there. But, but there are a lot of Jews. There are, I tell you this, there are a lot more Jews scattered throughout the world than there are Jews in Israel. So that great regathering has not happened yet. But, but the, Lord is come, the Lord is telling them, hey, at some point, I'm going to regather all of y'all back into the, into the land of Israel. But he's also saying to this remnant, it's time for you to come back. Because the same God that's present, going to be present in the millennium in a physical way is present there now in a spiritual way. So it's time to come home. It's time, you know, only like 35,000 of the Israelites uh, and there, uh, came back from captivity the original group that came back was numbered at about 35,000 and there were a million or so Jews scattered throughout the land. And so he's telling them to come back. He says, up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I've spread you abroad like four winds of heaven. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Come on back, come on back down. And then he says in verse number eight, he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, whenever we see the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord speaking about his power. He has, he, has, he has power over all things. He's the Lord over the host of angels, the host of armies. The host, all the armies of the earth do his bidding, we're told in Scripture. And so he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the one who has all power. And, and, you, and now you're going to get a little bit of wordplay here based upon the Trinity. And, and listen to what the, who's the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah God, right? And he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me. Who's me? He sent me. Well, he is God, sent the Messiah, who is, the, by the way, the Lord of hosts, who is God. And all of this is interchangeable. He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches the apple of his eye. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now that's an interesting thing there. He says he sent me, since the Messiah went, after glory. Now what does he mean there by after glory? Well, I, I'm, I don't know if you can be 
totally sure about this, but I think that the primary fulfillment of this prophecy is when the Lord of hosts, who is the Lord of power, Jehovah God, sends Jesus back to this earth after he's glorified. Remember, Jesus left this, left glory. He left his glory in heaven and he came to this earth. He became a man. He became a babe in Bethlehem. He died for our sins. And then he went back to heaven and he returned to the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. And his glory is going to return to this earth. And after he, he sent me after glory, so after Armageddon, after the nations are destroyed at Armageddon, then Jesus is sent to, to this earth. And, and why does he come back for Armageddon? Why does he come to destroy these armies? Because they're coming against the apple of God's eye. And if you come against the apple of God's eye, then God's going to come against you. But that's not just true for Armageddon. That's true for the whole history of Israel. Whenever someone came against Israel, they were coming against the apple of God's eye. And it's very clear from the very beginning when Abraham was given those prophecies, he was told those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed because you're going to be the apple of my eye. And so Jesus has always been sent to protect the Israelites from those nations that God has used to punish Israel. Now, why would God use nations to punish Israel and then attack those nations? Well, he told us, you remember back in uh, the last chapter in verse number 15, he told us that, that uh, uh, the reason they're punished is because what they did, they were my tools in punishing and disciplining Israel but they did it with evil intent. And so they came against the apple of God's eye with evil intent to harm Israel. He, want, he brought them, he used them to build Israel. And that's why we got this vision of the craftsman and the horn, the horns to harm them, the craftsman to build them up. And so they had two functions there. And, but no matter what, they were still responsible for what they did to Israel, but you go all the way back to Israel's, uh, the nation's birth uh, during the Exodus, and who was there with them the whole time when they were wandering in the wilderness? The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, the glory cloud followed them everywhere they went. When the glory cloud moved, they moved. When the glory cloud stopped, they stopped because they knew that it was the Lord who was feeding them and protecting them and keeping them clothed and. And so they, well, they wanted, even, even though they knew they had to follow that cloud, they wanted to be under that cloud because that was their cloud of protection, the glory of the Lord. And, and once that they crossed the Jordan and that glory cloud, I think, maybe departed at that point. Maybe not. I mean, we, we can't be sure. But we do know this. We know that the Lord was with the armies of Israel because Remember Joshua, as he's about to cross over the Jordan, he runs into the commanders of, to the commander of the armies of the Lord. And uh, Joshua runs into him and he asks him, if, are you for me? Are you against him? And he just says, no. Um, and I really think he's saying, I'm not against you. I'm, I'm for you when you're doing the right thing. And, you know, so it's really yes or no, depending upon you. But the Lord was with them. And remember what he told Joshua. He said, take off your shoes 
because you're standing on holy ground. In other words, the, the commander of the armies of the Lord was none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And then as you go through the Israel's history and you see them conquer that land, who was with them every step of the way as they fought their enemies, as they fought the Canaanites and conquered the land, the Lord was with them. And then he was with them, all the, even when they had the judges, he was with them. He was with them, and when uh, they were doing good, uh, he gave them peace and prosperity. And when they were doing bad, he sent in enemies in their midst. But whenever they called upon the Lord, what did he do? He, he was there to help them. He was there. He was always the glory cloud. They might not have seen it at this point, but the glory cloud of the Lord was always with the Israelites, no matter where they were. No matter where they were in the state of their history, he was always, whether they were doing bad or whether they were doing good, he was there. Now, how he dealt with them depended on their obedience. And their, if they were engaged in idolatry and wickedness, then, then the Lord was, was, uh, was, was with them, but he was against them. And that was a bad place to be. I was reading the other day in First Chronicles and that's probably one of the most boring sections in Scripture because the very first part of First Chronicles is full of all the genealogies of the various tribes. And so it's a real hard read, but it's worth the read. I've got to tell you right now because there are all sorts of little spiritual nuggets in there if you look for them. One of my favorite spiritual nuggets is in First Chronicles chapter 4, and that's the prayer of Jabez. It's a great, I love that prayer. It's a great model prayer for anybody to pray. And, and, and you, you see that little prayer there. Well, I, was, I saw a little, another little nugget the other day as I was going through there. I was, I was uh, reading the genealogy of the Reubenites. Remember the Reubenites? Where'd the Reubenites settle after, after the Israel, Israel uh, defeated their enemies? Where did the Reubenites end up settling? They ended up set, settling about as far away from Jerusalem as you could get. They were on the east side of the Jordan far, far, far away from the Lord, far, far, far from the things of the Lord. And I probably in their hearts, that was, uh, that picture there was not just geographical, it was probably spiritual. They had drifted very, very far away from the Lord. And you don't hear much about the Reubenites. But then you get over here to 1 Chronicles and go with me back up a little bit and go to right in the midst of those genealogies, go back to 1 Chronicles. And look in verse number five, okay. chapter five, I'm sorry, not verse number five, chapter five. Watch me have the wrong text here. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, First uh, Chronicles chapter 5, uh, look down at verse number 20. They, they go to war against these people called the Hagrites. You know who the Hagrites are, right? If you know who the Hagrites are, tell me, because I don't know who they are. I'm sure they're a savage group of uh, people over probably in that land of Ammon or Moab, one of those countries, they, they're one of those tribes, and they had, a, they had a group of kings who came against them, and, and, it looked like they were going to get wiped out. So we pick up in verse number 20 of chapter 5. And they were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they 
Just real simple. Look what happens here. For they cried out to God in battle. I mean, here they were, about as far away from Jerusalem as a Jew could get at that time. Far away geographically, far away in their hearts. But the glory of the Lord, what did I say? Isaiah see when he saw the glory of the Lord, his whole his train filled the whole earth. So the glory of the Lord was right there with them. And they cried out to God in battle and he heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. They put their trust in him. And then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels from the Hagrites, 250,000 of their sheep. I mean, these guys got rich off this battle. And 2,000 of their donkeys, also 100,000 of their men. For they fell dead because the war was God's. And they dwelt in their place until when? The captivity. When the rest of Israel went down, they went down with them. Because they had put their trust in the Lord for this battle. But they obviously, like the rest of Israel, had drifted far, far away from the Lord. But the point there being, the glory of the Lord, no matter what they had done and where they were at, the glory of the Lord had never departed from them. And when they went to battle, the Lord was there with them. It's true for us. That's true for us. No matter if you're a born again believer, no matter how far you drift away from the Lord, the Lord's going to get you back home. And when you finally say uncle and you call out and you're in battle, he's going to be there for you. And now we're back to Zechariah's day. Let's go back to Zechariah and our text. And we're, we get back to their time in in around 500 B.C. And these Jews have returned to Jerusalem. And the Lord, what the Lord's telling them in all this, hey, the glory is still there. You don't see it, but the glory is still there. Hey, the city wasn't the same. They weren't the same. The nation wasn't the same. The temple wasn't the same. But the God was the same. And that's what really mattered. And they couldn't see him, but he was there. And then but one day, we're all going to be able to see him. Look at verse number 10. That's, that's, that's what Zechariah does in this book. He's trying to look at, get them to look at this spiritually. But he's also reminding them that what they're doing is very important. Because it's pointing to a day of peace and joy and, and righteousness and truth on this earth when Jesus Christ comes and rules and reigns. And so you got a big important part in this because is what he's saying to these little group. Because one day I'm going to sit in this land physically and I'm going to rule and reign in this land and this temple that you're building very, very important. And the city that you're rebuilding is very, very important. So he says in verse number 10, pointing to the millennium, he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. He says, many nations, a better translation there in this context is many peoples shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And joined, I think he's speaking in the context of marriage. Many different peoples will be joined to the Lord in that day. They'll be joined. Who, who does the Lord, who's the Lord going to be married to in that day? The church. Speaking of you and I, many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and they shall become my 
people. My people. And I will dwell in your midst. They, those nations, those Gentiles and some Jews who make up the church shall become my people. And they're going to dwell with me in your midst. They're going to they're going to rule and reign with me. Remember in our study Sunday when we were looking at the church at Laodicea, we saw how Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And anybody who opens that door, he comes in and dines with them. And then he goes on to say that they will sit with me on my throne. They will have a seat in my government. And that's exactly what Zechariah is speaking of right here in verse number 11. Many nations, many different kinds of people from all over the world should be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst, in the midst of the Jews. That's where his capital will be. And then you're going to know who sent me. The Lord of hosts sent me. By the way, I am the Lord of hosts. But the Lord of hosts sent me. And then he goes on and he says in verse 12, And the Lord will take possession of Judah as its inheritance in the Holy Land. You know, that's the only place in the Bible where Jerusalem is described and Israel is described as the Holy Land. It's the only place. Why is it holy in this case? And it's not spoken of as the Holy Land elsewhere. Because I've got to tell you what, it's not holy. Right now, you go to Israel, it's not holy. It's full of Muslims. It's full of unbelieving Jews and some Christian tourists. And that's what it is. And it's anything but holy right now. But when the Lord comes, it will truly be the Holy Land. When somebody talks about, I'm going to the Holy Land, I mean, it's no more holy than this, this Lafayette. But I'll tell you one day, it's going to be the most holy spot on earth. And in God's eyes now, because he's eternal and sees things eternally, it's, it's holy to him now. And it was holy to him in, in Zechariah's day. But he only calls it the Holy Land once because it's in the context of him coming back. He says, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and it will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. He's aroused from heaven. He's come to earth. So what's our response when the Lord rules and reigns from Jerusalem? Let me tell you what our response is. Be silent. Be silent. No one's going to question what the Lord does. Everybody who's here on this earth during the millennium, at least the way as it starts out, will be either Christians or God-fearers. People who long for truth and long for righteousness. People who recognize Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they recognize the fact that what he says goes. And that his word is truth. And it is eternal. And it is not to be questioned. And so what's our response to the presence of the Lord? Is to be silent. The most powerful man on this earth right now is the President of the United States. More than likely. Uh, some other Putin might argue against that. Or little Kim Jong might order against uh, argue against that, but he's probably the most powerful man on earth. But people aren't silent when he speaks. When he 
initiate some policy, people aren't silent. In fact, they speak of him and his policy in a very derogatory way. But that's not going to be the case when the Lord comes to this earth. If you don't like it, there's a place for you in hell and Hades. And what the Lord says, go. So what an encouraging word here for these, this little remnant of Israelites. You know, hey, you, you, you got, you, you're actually working in the place where one day the king of glory would dwell. And by the way, little remnant, he says, he's telling them, I'm here now. You don't see me, but I'm with you now. And I'm going to protect you because you're the apple of my eye. And what's true for that little band of Jews is true for you and me. As bad as things look sometimes in the organized church, as bad as things look sometimes in this world, we don't really have anything to fear because God is with us. And his glory encompasses us. He encompasses our soul and encompasses our habitation. And he's going to protect us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to empower us. And he's going to get us home. I love Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encampeth around those who love him and fear him. He always has. And he always will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great news that, uh, Lord, no matter, whether we see you or don't see you, that, that we're living in the midst of your glory. And for the, those of us who know you, Lord, that are, those of us who are truly born again, your glory is in our soul. You're here, you're, you're in our homes, you're in our, our, our workplace, Lord. You're, when we're sleeping, you're there, no matter where we're at. Lord, you're there. We have nothing to fear. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Lord, one day, one day when you come to this earth and you rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years, we're going to be there with you. By grace, Lord. All by grace. You're so good to us and you give us so much hope and so much promise and so much peace if we just rest in you. All of that through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.